0: Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head
1: Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Ask me about head and neck anatomy or dental material sciences and whilst difficult topics, I might be able to somewhat scrape by, but anything to do with income and tax, I honestly have no idea whatsoever. Welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name's Erica Huin and I am beyond excited to be sharing this episode with you all today with Bupesh Kapli, an accountant and tax and business advisory specialist from BDO. Now we learn a lot of things throughout our extensive education, but the one thing we don't really get taught about before we graduate is what to do when we suddenly have an income. Thankfully, even though I have no idea, we have people like Bupesh out there where this is his job and his bread and butter. And so in today's episode, we talk about tax and what on earth is that now we're skipping our usual feature interview for this month and we're making this a special extended what i wish i knew because there was no way we were able to cover this entire conversation in our usual you know 20 to 30 minute what i wish i knew segment This is jam-packed full of information. We cover all of the tax basics from, you know, what is your accessible income, what are allowable deductions, the different kinds of taxes, and why it's so important that you get it right and you have a good record of all of your expenses. For everyone who's in a similar boat to me, who honestly gets so overwhelmed by this topic, I hope this is a beneficial conversation for you to tune into. Enjoy! I think
0: there's a lot of different areas of tax, to be honest. That's probably why I've got a job (laughs) um, and so I can run around. And and to be honest, they're all very complex Um, and they're pretty unknown. If you haven't come across it before, um, probably like you said, you know, if you're you're a graduate and associate, you're most likely not going to come across it um, during dental school. Um, And that's pretty common of all industries. So um, certainly no no issues or shame in not knowing the details. Um, That's the whole reason, I guess, we're having the podcast today. So there's different different types of tax. And and I think predominantly what is important to understand is probably income tax components. That's probably what most people are going to come across when they first start their, I guess what I would call their their employment um, in in dental. Um, There is some other taxes we can touch on a bit later today, but I think the first point to to kick off with is income tax. now, income tax, uh, nice complex issue. It uh, gets more complex as, as you probably get further along in your career, um, which, which is look, which is fine. Um, but really, it's the tax that we pay on the, in the income we earn, hence the name. Um, and that's like the income that we earn, whether it's from your employment, um, whether it's from, you know, one day you'll have rental properties or some people might have shares already. And we earn that income and the tax that we pay to the government, um, that's really what we're capturing there.
1: And when does this really start? becoming an issue? Because a lot of people may have had like part-time jobs when they're younger or balancing things throughout dental school and it's never really been that significant. But why is it that this now becomes significant once we graduate?
0: Great question. Great question. So we've probably all been paying income tax before if we've had a part-time job. Um, and the way that income tax uh, works is more you earn, the more you pay. And um, That's the system we have in Australia. So what might have happened is when people had part-time jobs or maybe earning a bit less uh, before they'd formally graduated, um, they probably weren't seeing as much tax being paid to start with, um, just because the income levels were lower. Um, but also, um, that tax is taken care of for you by your employer. So, a lot of the part time jobs we had, um, we would, you know, um, I used to work at Coles way back when. Um, I'd go in and uh, do sit at the, the the checkout section, um, do my shift, and then I'd get a pay slip. Um, right now, these days, we get electronic pay slips. But back in the day, if we we're showing my age, you'd be, uh, old paper paste that would get, get sent to you right <laughs> yeah. um and then what it would say is hey you earned this much money um during the week or during the fortnight and they would actually withhold the tax for you that income tax component that they'd calculate it on your behalf so they would be actually doing uh this on your behalf they would go and then pay the ato the amount of tax that you would owe and so really you didn't have to worry too much about it for, for all intents and purposes it happened for you in the background um and they would go lodge your tax return and hopefully you, you get a refund at the end of the day which will speak to how that happens um but that's probably why it hasn't been much of a, a consideration for most people um they just haven't had to think about it uh, based on what's been happening probably with their careers and their jobs um today
1: so then once we graduate and we have a bit more of an income does this differ then like do our employees still do the same thing where they look after it for us or does this now become our duty
0: yeah great question so it depends so if you're an employee a lot of those same principles hold um, in terms of whose responsibility is it to look after the tax who's going to pay the ato um, whether it's on your behalf or you're paying them directly um, and so that's probably more what you'd expect to see um, but as we know uh, you know when we when we graduate there's different types of jobs and there's different ways you can be hired for jobs um, and if you start to think of more commission or contractor type arrangements um, that's when the complexity is a bit more different uh, and there's more of an onus on the dentist themselves or, in an instance, we'd say taxpayer um, to look after the the, the income tax. So um, it really does depend, but it certainly becomes more of a consideration, one, because the complexity might increase, but secondly, you're probably going to be paying a lot more tax as well. Um, and so then um, you know, a, lot, a lot more tax coming out of your, your, ultimate your bottom line, which means if you're not managing that, um, you might actually take home less cash um, when it's all said and done from your job.
1: But could you break down a little bit about like how we get taxed? Like and when you were saying that as we earn more of an income, the more tax we pay, how is that broken down?
0: Absolutely. So I can do that. So really the way we calculate tax is based on what we uh, earn during the year. So every financial year. So for Australia, that's from 1 July of whatever year we're in to 30 June, and we calculate what we call our taxable income. Okay, so um, as I said before, it used to be pretty easy. It'd just be probably what your patient said <laughs> at the end of the year. and uh, We see the payment summaries uh, and there wasn't much else to it. Um, similar again here, but really what we're looking at from a, from a, a taxable income perspective is two components. Um, one is accessible income, which I'll speak to in a second. Um, and the other, way, other one we call is allowable deductions. Okay, uh, when we um, uh, take those two into account, um, so your income less deductions, you land what we call your taxable income. And then the tax system says, well, based on what you're earning, the taxable income we will charge you an appropriate level of tax. And that's broadly how things operate in Australia. And we can get into the details as to how they actually calculate the, the tax itself in the moment. Um, but the real key part is to understand those different components of how we get to taxable income. Um, as I said before, one being accessible income, the other one being allowable deductions. Um, so assessable income, happy to sort of go into that bit more detail. Um, so what we're probably commonly going to see is what I said before, what we call salary and wages. Um, so that'd be, you know, the part-time job that you might have or likewise when you graduate, uh, if you do get hired, um, uh, which I'm sure everyone will, to an employer, um, that'll be the earnings that you have um, from your normal salary and wages. But there is other types of assessable income as well. Um, and again, as we probably grow our wealth, we come across more of these. Or if we do some things that are a bit more, um, I guess, different from an investing point of view, we start to see some more things as well. So other areas of assessable income that are quite common, um, interest that you earn on your bank account. Um, so again, normally when we're first starting up um, our part-time jobs, um, I probably wasn't a great saver, so I didn't have too much interest in my bank account. Um, but, but as you sort of earn more and more um, income and you have more cash in the bank account, the bank does pay you some interest um, and that becomes income that you get taxed on as well. Um, some other common ones that we come across, um, as I said um, said sort of earlier before, dividends or rental income. So if, um, you know, you look to invest into the share market, you might buy some shares, um, you know, BHP, Woolies, um, Coles, they're sort of common ones that we see floating around. Um, but what happens is hopefully those shares are really strong shares and they might pay you what we call a dividend. Um, and that dividend is also going to be taxed um, as accessible income. So, that's another sort of common source. Um, and then we have things like rental income, which, are pretty, which is probably the most other common one we see. Um, again, you might buy investment property in, in due course. Um, the income that you earn from that property, so the rental income, um, will be a, will be another source of income for you that will ultimately get taxed by the ATO as well. Um, so, as more as more, I guess you, you sort of grow and different things pop up in, in your career. Um, you'll find those different sources of accessible income also starting to, to, to pop up. Um, and the other common one I'd say for most dentists in the industry is people end up being dental owners, practice owners. Um, and then that's the other one that also pops up and um, more complexity there. But again, it's something that we see pretty frequently.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that opens up an entire different, you know, can of worms once you get into the business side of things as well. It,
0: it does. So I, I think... You know, most people find it's a good thing and, and they sort of do enjoy it, but a sense of a whirlwind at the start um, in terms of working that process. But it does, um, it is obviously very common because probably more than than most industries, you know, a lot of people who do end up in, in, um, in, in dentistry, um, a lot of them do have a plan to become owners as well. Um, and so that becomes consideration um, as they sort of progress on their career.
1: So, Professor, you were kind of dividing it up into the um, assess- accessible. Accessible, Accessible income. income? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Accessible well income. Oh, getting there, right? And then tax deductible.
0: That's income? it. Very was that it? Yep. Okay. Yep, oh,
1: was it? Mm, go correctly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Allow uh, uh, with the classic accounting me, I'm making sure. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm probably a bit too. Uh, pertinence about the, the, the language, but allowable deductions. No, no, I need
1: I it. Allowable deductions. Okay. So Absolutely. I want to go into allowable deductions in a second. Yes. But just with the accessible income. This seems yeah. like, you know, very complicated. How do we keep track of all of these things and how do yeah. we... Do we need to report it? Or I know we're probably jumping around a little bit here, but just how do we keep track of all of our um, accessible income?
0: Yeah, sure. I think it really has gotten simpler, actually, believe it or not, in the last couple of years because a lot of this information previously used to be a bit more challenging to get a hold of. You'd have to go and talk to your bank or to get your interest income or, you know, you get paper pay slips and you get summaries at the end of the year. Um, That's starting to shift. A lot of the information we have now is, and all the work that we do and the investments that we have, Um, there's a link electronically to a lot of these different portals. And so currently, um, although you have to keep you on records and we'll speak about how the best way to do that is, um, when you sort of um, give information to your employer um, or you give information to your bank around your bank accounts, they actually link that through to your own ATO account. Um, And a lot of people might have actually seen this come through to their MyGov account. Um, And you'll find that MyGov account has a lot of pre-field details um, around your income. This all comes from the information you're providing to those various um, parties um, and that links in all that data for you. So good thing is a lot of this is being transferred between all these regulators and, and the ATO so that you can access it online in real time.
2: It's that time of year again. Before June 30, we have to renew our indemnity insurance. And when I look for an insurer, I'm looking for someone who's going to be there when I need their help. They're going to act fast and they're going to be by my side so I can practice with confidence. I get all of that from Dental Protection Limited. What I love about them is that they're more than just an insurer. They're actually here to help us, to give us content and support us with medical legal situations and most importantly, help us avoid these situations. The content they produce is the best content out there from an insurer like them. Renewal notices are out in May. To make sure you get all of these added benefits, sign up by June 30. I can say from personal experience, when you need help, you'll be glad you're with Dental Protection Limited. Thank you, Dental Protection Limited, for supporting me and my career and the Dental Head Start podcast.
1: Okay, then. So I guess that's the accessible income half of it, right? But Vesh, could you now talk me through the second half you mentioned, which is about the allowable deductions, if I'm correct?
0: Yeah, sure. So allowable deductions, and as we were saying before, it's probably the second part um, of the equation, really, when we're thinking about how we're going to pay tax and how much tax we have to pay the ATO from from income tax perspective. A um, couple of things. So uh, they're very powerful because whenever you – Capture an allowable deduction, it reduces the overall income you have and then hence the, the tax that you, you pay is reduced. Um, but we have to really know what allowable deductions are. Um, unfortunately, um, it's not everything we spend money on. Um, so uh, otherwise, that would be very good <laughs> as you capture all your any fast food or your Uber Eats, but uh, it's, not, it's not that simple. Um, but broadly, there's three rules the ATO says to say, well, am I, um, is what I'm spending actually deemed to be allowed deduction and, and can actually claim is eligible to reduce my tax, my taxable income or my assessable income. Um, a couple of things um, that we have to think, think in, uh, take into account. One is you have to have spent the money yourself. And what I mean by that is sometimes, depending on what job arrangements you have or how you work with the employer, um, they'll reimburse you for some of the cost you pay. So if you've been reimbursed, then you haven't actually spent the money yourself, you haven't incurred the money yourself or incurred the cost. Um, so it's not a sort of deduction you can actually claim yourself. So you have to actually pay for it broadly It's the way you think about it. The second one, and I'd say the most important one, is these deductions or these costs that you're paying have to be linked to your job or an income-producing activity, okay? So really classic one, I guess, if you're jumping into, um, you know, obviously dentistry and let's say it's your first, first um, job for, um, uh, after graduating, um, you might go and buy some dental loops, Um, that you will pay for by yourself. Um, That type of cost would be a tax deduction for you, an allowable deduction, which is fantastic because then it reduces the overall tax you're going to pay. Um, Other common ones that you'll see, um, and we'll talk about I know it at a later point in time, um, CPD, for example. Um, So any of your continual um, professional development, um, so the actual course fees themselves, if you're paying them by themselves, that's obviously going to better your income, better your skills, overall and so that's deemed to be a, a tax deduction that you can claim and actually even some of the travel um, or accommodation if you're going interstate or or overseas for for that type of training can also be a tax deduction as well uh, an allowable deduction um, there's some rules around that um, you probably can't book a trip to the US and spend one day at a conference the rest of the month um, traveling and claim all of it back um, there are some rules around making sure you know you portion some of those costs so um, uh you know if you're actually there for one day out of 30 um you probably can only claim one out of 30 um of, of your of your um flights and accommodation um but again um you know that's all still deductible you're just going to make sure that you, you, you do the right um, i guess record keeping to to, to understand that as well
1: Who's really looking at those when you say like how the rules regarding, for example, um, when you made that, uh, that example of going to the US for a one-day conference but you travel for 30 days, like how do we know who's keeping track?
0: Who's <laughs> keeping track? Fantastic. So uh, ATO uh, likes to put the statement that the onus of any record keeping or tracking is on the taxpayer, so yourselves. Um, so what that means is if you are going on a trip like that, for example, Um, and you're looking to spend some time both personal and, I would say, business-related or income-producing like your conference, um, it's up to you to keep a diary effectively. Um, And what the ATO will suggest is if they were to investigate or review um, your tax return, which can happen time to time, they'll say, please provide us the evidence to say um, what is it that you've spent or what is the timeframe of the diary that you have that shows that that deduction is eligible and is actually classified as liable deduction. Um, which is a nice segue into the third thing, which is um, you have to actually verify your expense. Um, which so you have to spend the money yourself. It has to be related to your job. And the third thing is you have to have a record of what you did. Um, and if you don't have that third one, unfortunately, even if you did spend the money um, but you can't prove it, you don't have the invoice or you, or you don't have a diary to show the amount of time you spent that's you know related to the conference, ATO actually can say, well, the onus of proof is on you. The burden of proof is all that they use as a terminology. Look, you can't actually prove it. We're going to disallow that deduction and you might have to pay more tax.
1: That makes sense. Otherwise, anyone could say anything. Right? So
0: Absolutely. You, you need um, to have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's pretty funny. We see some um, interesting deductions sometimes come through. Um, <laughs> I might suggest um, it's probably not allowed, so it's our job to say you might not be able to uh, put that one through. Um, but look, if you have the records, at least you can have the conversation. Um, without the records then you really don't have um, much in terms of pushing back and, and actually claiming those deductions.
2: BOQ specialists have worked closely with dental professionals for over 30 years and they understand the unique challenges that you, as a dental student or graduate, will face at the beginning of your career. I know they helped me early on as a dental student and they can help you too as they offer a private banking experience and tailor their products for dental professionals. I can say they have great customer service, I've lost my password that many times and they've always been able to help me, nothing like the experiences I've had with competitors. So if it sounds like they can help you too, get in touch with them for a chat. For more information, visit boqspecialist.com.au slash students or check out the show notes for more details. TNCs, fees and lending criteria apply. See boqspecialist.com.au for more details.
1: Into just like the record keeping of it. Can we talk a little bit more about what other things are tax deductible? So, you made the example of like travel loops, CPD. Um, what other things are we able to claim on? Absolutely.
0: So, gifts and donations. So, if you're making um, gifts and donations to charitable activities or charitable uh, organizations and they're classified as what we call um, uh, deductible gift recipients. Um, you can claim those deductions. So a lot of people will make a, um, a donation obviously year to year. The common ones we saw recently around like the flood appeal, bushfire appeal, um, the Cancer Foundation, they're very common. Those are actually tax deductible. Um, so that's fantastic. Um, i talked about the dental loops before and really that's sort of caught up in a, in almost a classification which we'd call tools and equipment. So if you're buying things um, specific to your job like that, definitely tax deductible. Um and that can even extend to things um, if you use them for your work, like computers. Um, so um, a lot of people, and I use the business owner, for example, will buy a laptop and they spend a lot of time using that at home. They might buy a mobile, for example, or spend a lot of time at home. It's probably more common for, for people that have a lot of jobs or do doing a lot of travel or, or have a business that you find those type of costs coming through. Um, it's probably not as common for a dental grad, um, for example. But look, I appreciate that you have to sometimes to study um, with your cpd and the rest and so you still do use some of those things um personally uh, sorry at home for for, for work or income producing activities um, again keeping a record of how much time might be spent at home on those type of activities will help you then claim some of those costs as well um other common ones i would say um we, t- we talked about cpd which just broadly comes into self-education expenses um so that extends to if you're paying um for your university courses up front for maybe doing extra studies so if you're doing your master's for example um, or doing further studies generally in, in the field that you're working in uh, and you're paying those costs up front there's there's potentially an avenue to claim some of those costs as well um so there's some rules around that but knowing that at least there is some 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 costs that you can claim um, is very important because some of those costs can be quite significant um and that extends to sort of the the books um or other material that might for courses as well um you we know those are um, can be quite expensive as <laughs> well. Yeah, tell me
1: about it. <laughs> <All
0: right>. um, <laughs> yeah. Some of the other more common ones as well, um, home office expenses. So, again, if you're doing work at home or you're doing some study at home relating to your courses um, or, you know, um, your, your job in particular, those costs can be claimed as well. Um, so it's common sometimes um, the ATO will, will, will say, well, um, you know, if you're spending a lot of time these days, um, you know, studying from home, um, will allow you to claim a, a portion of those costs. There's some rules going around that and a lot of the, the, the rules are listed very well on the ATO website. So they go around those, those details. Um, so that's actually quite a common one we've seen recently. Um, and there's also some costs around clothing and laundry and, and, and dry cleaning as well. So if you've got a uniform potentially at work, um, you can claim some of those, those costs up front. Um, also as a deduction, I should say, if you're paying for those costs. So all those little things sort of all add up, right? Right. Um, I wouldn't say you're spending thousands and thousands on, on, on laundry
1: every every year on dry cleaning, yeah, <laughs> on dry
0: cleaning. Um, but hey, if if you're you know if you are spending um, some of those dollars and it's it's allowable deduction, absolutely all adds up in terms of um, reducing your overall tax you pay at the end of the year.
1: I have to ask this one because I know it's a very common question you probably get, and a lot of our listeners have asked about it. But what about cars?
0: I knew it. I knew this is gonna be one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And like, no, no, oh, good. It's a really common one to ask, and, and there's a lot of yeah. water cooler chat around this one as well. Because yeah, <laughs> it's probably a misunderstood one, unfortunately, um, and people end up getting in a bit of trouble because they claim too much. Um, so, car expenses are their own little lecture, uh, to be honest, in terms of um, what to what to work through. But look, you can claim car expenses, absolutely, but the same rules apply. They have to be related to to business or income-producing activities. That's that's the key part. Um, The problem is um, when we consider what is business or income-producing activity, um, when we travel from home to work or work to home, that's deemed to be private or not actually income-producing. And that's what catches people out because um, the way you can claim car expenses is to basically capture that type of um, travel or that type of um, kilometres. So when we think about car expenses, um, there's two types of way you can claim them. One is what we call the cents per kilometre method and that basically says how many business kilometres do you travel per year? Uh, ATO provides a rate every year and says take those kilometres up to 5,000 kilometres per year times it by the rate we give you and that's your deduction. So it calculates it there. Um, Again, the problem is uh, you don't get to count home to clinic and clinic to home. Um, If you're going from clinic to clinic, if you work at multiple clinics, you could capture that. It's like a bit of
1: a trick there, then. yeah, It
0: it is. It is. How often does that actually happen? Unless you're probably doing a bit more locum work, um, which could happen. Most of the time, you're probably going home to clinic, to home. So those kilometres aren't probably as as large as we'd we'd hope. Um, You might also be doing things like your clinic and maybe going to some, um, you know, to, to do some study after. And so you're going to do, um, you know, whether it's CPD or, or doing some extra studies we talked about, or maybe it's at uni, um, that is deemed to be um, sort of business kilometres. But the key thing here, as you can see, is you're not going from work to some oh, sorry, from home to somewhere. You're really doing it. Um, it's really what you're doing after that initial first travel from home to a, a place of what we call business. From there onwards, we're claiming those, those as business kilometres. But again, when we're going back home, that last trip, it's not counted as well. So it's really the in-between stuff that's happening is the way you do that. Um, but but that means your comments probably aren't as high as you might have otherwise hoped, right? Um, the other way, very similar in terms of how we're sort of calculating that is um, what we call logbook method. So basically for a period of 12 weeks or three months, um, you calculate how much business travel you're doing compared to personal and you come up with a percentage Again, if it's a similar situation we described before, that percentage might be a bit low um, uh, if we're not doing a lot of that other business-type travel. Um, and you take that percentage and apply it to all the motor vehicle costs you spent in a year. And those motor vehicle costs are your typical running costs like um, uh, fuel, um, rego, um, maintenance, so servicing, um, insurance, all those costs laying to your car. And there's also some other ones you might not have come across um, otherwise like depreciation. Um, or lease payments depending on how that sort of um how you've bought your car all those sort of costs come into it as well um which is great because some of those costs are really significant particularly if you start looking at some things like depreciation um, which is basically a way that we describe how the value of the car goes down here to here, um, Is a very simple way to think about it um, but again um it might be a big number but if your percentage is small it might still end up being a small deduction overall um so it's in theory, a really great deduction to to claim. Um, But for most people at the start of their career, there's not a huge actually benefit to it. Um, Doesn't mean you shouldn't capture it and keep those costs because you never know, everyone's going to be in a different situation. Um, But I think it's important to realise that, um, you know, it might not be as generous um, initially. Um, We'll probably speak to this a bit later, but it does change a bit if you start to go on things like facility arrangements which is a bit more common, probably not as a grad, potentially maybe a year or two out, um, or if you're a contractor or on some type of commission arrangement. Those arrangements, um, and we think about structuring and how that all aligns, and again, we're a bit more complex and down the track a little bit, um, a whole different category of how you might be able to claim your motor your vehicle costs. And a lot of the time, it opens up some benefits to you um, in terms of what you might be able to claim at, at a higher level, so higher deductions. Um, but again, that's really depending on how you've been, I guess, hired um, with your arrangement with your practice. Um, and again, more common for people who are probably a couple of years out. But certainly, if you're in the situation where that might happen earlier on, um, worthwhile considering. And absolutely more than happy to expand on that as we need to.
1: Yeah, I think with this whole idea about the different arrangements, the different structures, the surface facilities arrangement, um, perhaps we leave that for our third topic that we'll dive into about all the different structures, because I think that's a can of worms of its own. And does that also, yeah, does that also lead into what we started this segment on about just the different ways that people get paid?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So when we start thinking about those different ways of getting paid, um, your type of arrangement you have with your practice is going to be the most critical part. So um, you know, really there's three, three broad ones and I'll just touch on them now so we, so we uh, make sure we go into a bit more detail. One is that more traditional, you get a pay payslip, your employee-employer relationship. Um, one is that what we call a contractor arrangement, um, which you get paid a commission. Um, and there's another one, which is also based on the commission, but it's called a service facility arrangement. And it's a little bit different. Um, you sort of end up in the same place as a contractor. So there's some things to do in the background to get to there. Um, but those three ways uh, will really impact um, your record keeping, um, how you capture that, uh, that information and, and how ultimately you, you get taxed as well and what you can claim as a tax selection.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's a teaser to all our listeners to stay tuned because oh, we're going to go <laughs> into a lot more detail about of, that a side of things. Bit of a trailer. a Bit of a trailer. <laughs> a of a trailer. But, but let's pull it back a little bit. So we're talking about just the logbooks and, like, you know, people keeping track of just the travel to and fro. Um, what about people who are buying cars? though? like if you're paying, is that tax deductible?
0: It, it is, but again, it gets get gets caught up in that that place around that logbook percentage. So, I'm um, buying a car. So, one of the things that we look at there is um, what the ATO says. When you buy a car, uh, you can claim that as a tax deduction. Usually, that's over a number of years because what they say is we'll let you claim that deduction of the car over eight years, and that's represented as what we call depreciation, which is what I was mentioning before. Um, currently, uh, it's very favourable um, because p- uh, post-COVID, the government was like, no, we really want people to invest into things and buy lots of things. Um, and cars are one of those things they want people to buy, any assets really, and cars are one of them. And so what they've said is up to roughly $60,000, um, there's a limit there we call luxury car t- tax limit. Um, if you buy a motor vehicle, um, you can claim all that upfront in the year that you buy it. So it becomes a really attractive tax deduction but only to the extent that it's for business purposes and hence we go back to that log book percentage. So very attractive if you can get a high log book percentage. Um, and so that's probably part of the reason cars are so hard to find right now is um, a lot of people have had some really good years um, earning lots of money um, and they have to spend it on something and, and cars are a pretty quick one to go and buy. All, so certainly the quick one, are one that people want to buy, um, but now it means you have to wait for a car a little bit depending on what you're buying. Um, but I so it's a, it could be really, really great. And if we find a way, and we'll talk about it again a bit later, about um, what are the certain ways you can actually make it more attractive or higher a car um, expense deduction. Um, if you can fall into one of those areas, fantastic, because it'd be a really good benefit. Um, but you just need to be in one of those areas. Otherwise, um, again, um, probably not that common to get a higher tax deduction even if you buying a car.
1: Which is very interesting. I think this is something that people perhaps fall into the trap of. And I think, as you said, new grads probably aren't really using their cars for the purposes of business, where it's more so private, just getting to and for from the clinic. So I think that's a very interesting point to bring up that perhaps cars aren't the best um, you know, source of just our tax deductible income.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think the other part is let's say you are hopefully um, one of those lucky people that does get a, a high percentage, or we, we you know, you're in an area where you claim that deduction. It, it's also important to understand that um, you know that that benefit that car expense uh, is capped when we talk about the depreciation. So um, once you go over about sixty thousand dollars, the benefit that you get from a tax deduction um, on that car starts to to be very different as well. Um, and so it's understanding, look, you know, if you do buy an expensive car. Um, it doesn't mean that it merely means a very big tax deduction, um, even if you have a high local percentage. There are some rules that you have to keep in mind as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, the let's go into, I guess now, we've kind of talked a lot about all the different things that come into play. Um, I'm pretty overwhelmed now by just, oh, how do we keep track of everything?
0: <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. So I think from, look, uh, an expenses perspective um but the most important part is keep your invoices and receipts it, it really is the the most important part because as we said before you might have paid for something it might be deductible but if you can't prove that you paid for it um then the hr doesn't allow the deduction right um and so the best way you can show that is um money going in your bank account that's nice and easy because you can show your bank statement and the other part is what that was in relation to and that's where you can get tax invoices and receipts um these days, um, look, what we practically see our clients do, um, you can get apps that can actually track that. So there's actually ATO apps, um, different apps that you can have with companies online. We can actually then take photos of the invoices. It stores them on the cloud. Um, so there's definitely some things around that you can you can do and ask your advisors and accountants they've got a point in the right direction. Um, also, the other way is probably the more classic way where um, you probably track something in the spreadsheet and you'll put a file away in a shoebox. <laughs> that's the other one that's quite common. Um, I would say probably take a picture on your phone. I, I quite like that one because um, the way things are backed up these days, you can save on the cloud. You can even put it on your laptop if you send it to yourself by email. Um, it's just much easier and less likely you're going to lose something um, when you take electronic copies. So um, I'd say the most common way, and I think the, the you know the easiest way probably is to take a photo on your phone um, and save it down. A lot of the times, otherwise you'll get an invoice from you know the CPD by by email. Um, keep that in, in your folder as well. Put save it onto a cloud based software or system. Emails, for example, have a lot of backups that way as well. And then you've got a record there for you. Um, then come the end of the year when you're doing tax return. Um, much easier to do um you know it probably doesn't hurt to keep a bit of a spreadsheet of things you're doing as well every accountant's favorite um microsoft application <laughs> spreadsheets uh, that's how exciting our jobs are um but but, not, but in all seriousness look, keeping just a record of that even on spreadsheet um we just find it's a bit easier than scrambling at the end of the year to figure out what you did um but i'd say that they're, the, they're the most common ways to do it and um again i think it it you know sounds a bit tedious i know and but once you get in the habit of doing it, it's not too bad. Um, and, and I think when you sort of like all things build those habits, um, it is much easier to do. And given you know, how much you can earn as a dentist um, compared to potentially other, other industries, um, the tax savings can be quite substantial as well. And we'll talk about how you actually get taxed um, and the tax rates in a moment. Um, but when you start looking at it, you realise it's actually a very, very big saving. Um, and so we'll probably, um, it probably incentivizes you pretty, pretty heavily as well once you start looking at what the dollar saving might be.
1: For sure, when you talk about you know when we need to lodge our tax return, so how does lodging a tax return work? Is there a you know something that we need to fill out, and can we do this on our own? Do we all need an accountant? How does this all
0: work? Yeah, great question. And, and it's probably everyone has a little bit different comfort level in how um, how much they want to do their own tax, how much they want to get some help, um, and a lot of it comes down to probably being exposed to. Um, so we have a lot of clients before. Um, might not be common, but their parents have been in business and actually have some background for tax and and accounting, and so they might be comfortable in their own tax returns. Um, But most people probably haven't had that exposure. And so, like I said, it it probably was a bit harder to your own tax return back in the day um, because you had to get all these different sources of income and deductions, bring it all together, a lot of record-keeping and a bit more challenging. It's becoming a bit simpler because of the fact that everything's sort of linked online now, which is making it a bit easier. And so normally what you can do... And what we've seen a lot more people do when I would say the tax returns are simpler and probably more when you're an employee-employer type relationship when you first hired, um, they're going to MyGov and linking the ATO accounts to MyGov. Um, and through that process, you link your tax file number, you link all your details, um, and then immediately um, the ATO is giving you a lot of that information up front and pre-filling the tax return for you. Uh, and then you have to go off and make sure it seems seems accurate. Um, and that might be as simple as checking um, what information you have on hand compared to what's in in the pre-fill report. Um, but it's not for everyone because, you know, you still have to figure out what deductions you have to claim, where do you include it. Um, the A2 has got a lot better in giving some good information online and putting some descriptions in the pre-fill tax return itself. But again, if you haven't come across it, it's still going to be a bit foreign um, to you. And that's where you might think about getting a, a, a tax advisor or a tax agent or an accountant. Um could be as simple as going to HR block, but let's say, or you sperm an accountant down the road. Um, or if your 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 tax returns might be complex, you might go to you know to PDO, for example, where I work, um, or, or another advisor. Um, it very much comes down to the complexity of your tax return. Um, and also your comfort level. I, I think um you know what you do have to do is understand that no matter what you lodge, if it's pre-filled by the ATO. Actually, sign off on saying that I know what I'm doing. I'm, I am um, legally comfortable with where I'm lodging, and so if you're not sure, you're better off asking the questions, getting some help.
1: I think so, definitely. I think what probably surround like what scares a lot of us new grads would just be we well, don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> and I think a question is just yeah, like what happens if you do make a mistake or if you do get ordered to like how serious are those um, penalties or the repercussions of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you make a great point, I think, in terms of um, if you haven't come across it before, it's not easy to make a mistake as well, right? Um, which is which is common, it's common with anything. Um, your penalties are going to range in terms of if you were, let's say, um, making error out of ignorance or accidentally, and um, it was a genuine error, let's call it, versus whether you're being, um, let's say cheeky is the word I'll use, um, and doing something maybe intentionally that you shouldn't. Um, ATO has two very different views and, on how to attack this. So if you're doing something um, inadvertently um, and doing it, um, you know, a general mistake, look, it still is, like I said, your, um, the burden's on you to get it right. So that ATO does still say, look, that's your error. Um, and, you know, it might be simple as, hey, we looked at your tax return, um, you've made an error, um, you need to update your tax return, you have to pay the extra tax. Um, there might be some general interest charges applied um, or there might be a small fine, and that fine can range from you know a couple hundred dollars to, to thousands of dollars, depending on how substantial that error is. So it can certainly become a even if it's an inadvertent error or a genuine error, it can still add up to be pretty expensive if you get it wrong. Um, but the ATO is more likely to take a kind of view if it's your first error. If again it looks like a genuine mistake, um, very different if you're um, trying to be. Um, well, you are doing the wrong thing. Let's be honest, right? Uh, and and the area that that is very different. And particularly, let's say if you um, have a history of being um, what we call non-compliant with the ATO, um, and so that means if you're actively um, uh, maybe not lodging things on time, um, or not lodging the right things, um, like you know your tax returns being filled out incorrectly, maybe you've decided to put some deductions in your tax return that shouldn't be there, um, and the ATO reviews and asks the question. If they disagree and they think, you know what, you're, you've probably been doing something um, incorrectly on purpose, they're a lot more severe, a lot more severe. Um, and those things can range from, again, those penalties, which are normally higher, um, and, and interest charges, which, again, uh, um, will, will potentially be uh, applied to you at a pretty high rate. Um, and they can also get into positions where if you're doing some things that are you know, arguably being fraudulent, um, that becomes um, you know criminal type investigations. So... Um, hopefully that's not the type of things we'll see commonly within your listeners today but it does escalate and we have some horror stories unfortunately that we've seen where people are doing the wrong thing um, they think they're not going to get caught and when they do ATO takes a very very severe um, view on it so um, I certainly wouldn't recommend that to be the way to go um, and look if you're not sure as I said you're better off um, getting some help to make sure you know, um, they, you know the advisor helps you and the accountant helps you feel like you're attached to correctly.
2: As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional, and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get used to.
1: in terms of just like finding a good tax advisor or a good accountant, does this have to be a, you know, long-term relationship or can it be just like a once-off if you just need someone to glance over it for you?
0: Yeah, great question. I think there's a few things and like you said, probably comes down to what you're using an accountant for. Um, If all you're doing is, you know, getting a simple tax return done, um, it's probably a once-off thing um, per year. Um, And and look, you might might need some more advice along the way if you you know if you end up buying an investment property or you sell an investment property or whatnot. Um, but that's not going to be as common, probably for 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 people earlier in their career. Um, and so more, more likely you're probably gonna see a accountant once a year. Um, what we do find is that um, particularly at the start, um, you know, a lot of the the tax sort of complexity um doesn't really depend on the industry that you're in. Um, it's a bit more simple. Most accountants come across it. As you start probably progressing in your career, um, I think getting an account that's good dental expertise and is involved in industry becomes really important, Um, particularly when you start looking at different facility arrangements and ways you get hired. That's not just your probably traditional employee-employer one. Um, That's a very different type of way to to, to look at your tax arrangements. Um, When you think of buying different assets and, and investment properties, shares, there's another level of complexity there. And then you start thinking about business, and particularly thinking about being a practice owner in, in the dental industry, a whole raft of different considerations. So um, I would say you probably have to reassess uh, as you go along that journey um, and then getting the right support um, with probably people who have some good, strong understanding in industry becomes really important there as well. Um, so I think it's just something like, like, like with all, all probably um, people that you work with um, and different advisors and in different industries, reassessing, knowing what you're doing, um, and as things get more complex, probably getting the right people in the room that probably have that exposure as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just depending on how complex it is or how dentally involved you are, I guess. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Um, but I think most people look early on in their career, and again, particularly when you've got that employee-employer type relationship, um, it's not going to be too complex. And, and, you know, you're probably going to see your accountant um, a couple of times a year at the most, <laughs> let's say. Um, and then you can, you know, I, I think that's that's more of an okay um, and look, the reality is that's probably more cost-effective as well. Um, but whereas you get probably the more complex things, it's going to cost more, but probably um, well money well spent because it becomes a bit, um, uh, more complexity means you know making sure you stay ahead of the game with the ATO to make sure um, you're compliant. Uh, you know what are all different things that pop up when you start to have um, more complex issues, um, and that's where you know, um, you know getting the right advice at that point in time um, is important.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a it's a very good example. Of just saying, like you know, we we're dentists, and you know, we understand dentistry, but we don't necessarily understand you know tax and finance and money. But this is your area of expertise and bread and butter. And so, I think we're we're unsure. We should really be looking for people who. Uh, experts in that area right yeah
0: absolutely same mm-hmm. same with mm-hmm. um you know outside probably brushing my teeth and <laughs> fossing <laughs> which i do sometimes um it's <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so a dental podcast but
0: but like the same thing for us you know we're, we we're very conscious of the fact that we're not experts in, in dental um, Mm-mm-mm. I'm certainly not gonna be putting my wisdom tooth out anytime times <laughs> soon by myself. Um and yeah. likewise you'd see, you know, as uh, you know, you might maybe get a chap and clean. They're probably the cost and the complexity to that is very different to if you have to get a more complex extraction done, right? Um likewise that's the way accounting, that's where legal, those things will work. So um and that's just the way to probably keep it in mind as you start to look at your your careers going forward as well.
1: That's a really good analogy. It's just like, yeah, you can go to a general dentist or a specialist. Same thing with your um accounting. Um, Sorry. one more thing, Vabesh. I think because obviously I know this 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 segment's really big because it's a really big topic, but you've alluded to it a few times, and I think we kind of just want to, I think, to give context to everything. And you were mentioning before, like how tax rate happens or how it works, and also to incentivize people to why yes. they should look into just um, allowable deductions. Am I getting that correct? Yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you touch a little bit more on this? And perhaps we'll use this to kind of wrap up um, yeah, this portion of it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I said before, so, you know, mm. what we're really trying to calculate is the taxable income, mm. which was your assessable income this mm. allowable deductions. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? Your income is probably your income. <laughs> There's not so yeah. much you can do to change that. And you don't want to reduce yeah. your income because you still want to earn money, right? So <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go negotiate a pay um, pay deduction with your employer. So we don't want to do that. <laughs> so yeah. what you can probably do is increase your deductions, as possible. So increase your allowable deductions. Now, again, that's record keeping. Knowing what you can claim is the main things we do there. The reason it's so important is because your tax rate and the amount of tax you pay is based on that taxable income component. So deductions help reduce that. But your tax rate ramps up pretty quickly. Um, so the way income tax work is based on what you earn, you fall into a bracket and you will then pay a percentage of the income based on that bracket. Now, it's what we call marginal tax. So um, if, you know, depending on what bracket you're in, you'll still get taxed at a certain percentage for the lower part of the income and it scales up as you earn more and more. Um, so currently, for example, um, your tax-free bracket, if you're a Australian resident, is um, from 0 to $18,200. So it means if you earn that much income, you actually don't pay any tax, which is a win. Um, but again, we're probably more so thinking about that in our part-time job dates. We're not doing the same hours and, and working in the industry. Um, we then start to scale that up. So from $18,200 to $45,000, dollars we actually pay $0.19 cents for every dollar we earn as income. Okay. Um, from there, the next... Um, bracket from forty five thousand to one hundred twenty thousand, you pay thirty two and a half cents per dollar that you earn. We're creeping up from one hundred twenty thousand dollars to one hundred eighty thousand dollars. It's thirty seven cents per dollar. Over one hundred eighty thousand dollars of what you earn, um, every dollar you earn is going to be taxed at forty five cents in a dollar. So it adds up. It's almost half, and look, and it is. It does, um, like I said, it's it's a marginal rate type system, so it scales up. So just because you earn one hundred eighty thousand dollars doesn't mean every single dollar you earn is taxed at forty five cents. It's just the stuff, the income above the one hundred eighty, and so the other rates apply until then. So that's important to realize. Um, but you can see if you are a high uh, high dealer, if you're on commission or if you're a grab, that's, that's secured a really good role and it's the higher income levels. Um, over one hundred eighty thousand dollars, everything you earn, nearly half it's taxed. So those deductions, um, if you were to keep your records correctly, and let's say you found um, $5,000 CPD deductions during the year and you kept the right records and you pay those numbers, that's going to be nearly $2,500 worth of tax savings um, if you're at that bracket, right? So again, if you're a lower bracket, you probably have a lower tax saving. But again, it's not not a small number by any means uh, in terms of what we're looking at. Most grads are probably going to be in that, that bracket, which is around... I'd say you know 45,000 dollars 120,000 being that area. Um because I think mo- I think the rates now are somewhere between 80 to 110,000 we're seeing for grads coming through. Um so that in that bracket your effective tax rate's roughly that, you know, 25 30 cents in a dollar. Um so anything you find is allowable deduction that you keep a record of, um you're going to save that percentage in tax. So it's a really really um important part to do it. Um you know, to keep those records otherwise you start paying um, a lot more than you have to in tax, which no one wants to do. Um, two other couple, two things to also add to that, um, which is really important. So that's your marginal tax rate. The other tax that we pay is what we call Medicare levy, um, and that's straight 2% on of your taxable income as well. Um, and that's um, something that's so really important. That's just something that we have in the Australian tax system. Um, it's a support the really um, health care system that we have, hence it's called the Medicare levy. Um and so um, for example, again, that 45 cents that we're looking at that was for anyone that earns over dollars and above. Um, if you have to add two percent to that, and all of a sudden it's 47 cents. Medicare levy is compulsory for everyone, unless you have an exemption. Um, exemptions are pretty rare. Um, um, so I think for 99% of people um listening to your podcast, you're gonna have to pay the Medicare levy as well. Um, now again, if you're an employer and uh, you're, you're sorry, an employment employee relationship, an employee knows about this and they're calculating those 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 tax calculations in the background, which is great. Um, again, we'll talk about what happens if you're not in that type of arrangement and what you have to do because um, it adds up pretty quickly. Um, so keep keep that in mind. And there's one more. I'm just going to keep throwing more taxes at you. Um, there's one more, and that's our help debt. Um, and so. Once we start earning over about forty-seven thousand, so it does shift year to year. So it's about forty-seven thousand dollars now. Um, we also start to repay our help debt, and that again is a percentage of your income. Um, so the more you earn, the more you repay back. Um, again, I'll give you, it scales up from paying nothing to paying up to ten percent of your income. So if you earn over about one hundred thirty-eight thousand um, dollars, you have to repay. 10, uh, So it's 10% of the income. Um, so again, your tax rate starts to look pretty high. Um, so I'll give you an example. If you are earning over $180,000, every dollar over that, you get 45% normal marginal tax rate, 2% Medicare levy, and you've got a health debt, potentially 10%. So uh, you might be paying up to 57 cents a t- to cent in tax at that point in time. So it's a lot. Hence, if you've got deductions, you want to capture them. You want to know what they are because it's a huge difference to what you actually take home into your bank account. So um, it is. And, and look, this is where people can get caught out. If you don't know what you're doing in that space or if you don't know how to you know, give the right detail to your employer or if you're in a situation where it's not an employee-employer relationship, which can happen even at grad level, um, all of a sudden if you've got an effective tax rate that's quite high, Um, and you're not capturing the data or you're not keeping your deductions, um, you might not be compliant. You might get caught by surprise for what the tax could actually be. Um, And then also you might miss out on some deductions, which would be big savings for you as well at the end of the day from a tax perspective. Hence probably the podcast we've got here. It's so important to understand how these things come together.
1: Definitely. I think it puts that, like all of that, just puts it into perspective because I think a lot of it is just us not being aware of it you kind of presented two sides of the spectrum where you're like okay some people are doing you know not the right thing and they're you know trying to escape it but then on the complete flip side is just people who just are unaware of it and these are allowable deductions but you're just you're missing out on these potential savings which are completely allowable right
0: absolutely completely legitimate and and, and i think that's the big part is um one is look you just want to do the right thing um you want to make sure you're lodging you things the ato um you, know, you don't want to. Know, basically be on the list as a red flag of not having done the, the right thing. Um, but also the other part is, you know, the ATO encourages you to make sure you claim the right deductions. They realize that um, people do spend money to um to earn income and and the right thing to do is claim those deductions. Um, and just making sure you keep a record, um, you know, making sure they are correct deductions is a real, real key. Um, but then ultimately that's going to result in a tax saving, which is obviously something that we're all after. Um, One last one to think about as well, Um, uh, just because I haven't given you enough taxes, uh, (laughs) the barrier barrier of good news, um, private health insurance becomes very important because, um, again, the government really wants to encourage people to get private health insurance to take stress away from the healthcare system, depending on if you're a family or if you're single. Um, If you don't have private health insurance, the the basic cover, um, which which, sort of basically um, is for for hospital cover and and basics, you don't have to have the top level, but you have to have the amount that's appropriate. Um, If you don't have that, um, there is an extra surcharge, extra tax you have to pay. And so um, that's probably for people earning about $90,000 or more. Um, But that surcharge actually becomes pretty expensive and it almost is high, if not equivalent, to what you would probably paid in private health insurance. Anyways. Um, so you're better off just getting private health insurance um, so you're not caught. So um, really, really important because um, you know I appreciate a lot of us, um, particularly if you're a bit younger, probably being on our parents' private health a lot of the time. Um, and then all of a sudden, if you do come off that and you don't have the right level of coverage um, and you earn enough money based on the circumstances, all of a sudden you get stung with your surcharge, which is effectively the extra tax. Um, not a great position to be in. So again, if you're earning $90,000 and above, um, definitely think about should you be having private health insurance or um, the right level of coverage to reduce that risk.
1: This is something that's very interesting. And we actually might perhaps touch on that in our second topic where we talk about cool. insurance and indemnity and perhaps how private health insurance comes into play as well because I'm pretty sure this is probably unfamiliar to quite a lot of people. But I think that was a very good summary of all the different taxes. <laughs> um, that very that, that, many that types exist. of taxes. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like a species of its own. Um, But that was very informative. Do you have any just like last parting words to our listeners just regarding you know tax and just like final tips or things that you think common pitfalls that people will make i think we've talked a lot about them but just any final pieces of advice i think you you
0: sort of nailed it uh, when we're talking about um how to actually do our taxes erica um in terms of Mm. if you don't know go and get help that's the real big thing for me um Mm -hmm. i think we can make a lot of errors because um we probably think we know what we're doing um and we just make um general errors and because it's such a foreign topic for most and you haven't come across it before it is quite Mm. complex so um, Mm. I think if if you're not sure definitely go and get help Um, and the last one I'll say is record keeping is key record keeping is key Um, look uh, I guarantee the the ATL will find um, where you've earned more money (laughs) (laughs) but the burden (laughs) of proof where you want to claim a deduction is on you as a taxpayer Um, and Mm -hmm. so keeping records is fundamental if you've got records um, it's mm-hmm. a much easier place to be in terms of completing your tax return correctly. Um, so those, mm-hmm. those are the two things for me. Get help if you're not sure. And the second part is keep good records. If you've got those two things humming along, then you're more than likely going to be doing the right thing.
2: Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So, if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.